0: We are working through the book of John. If you're paying attention, because we're doing it numerically, we're on John chapter 9, right? And it took us two weeks to do eight because there was just so much good stuff there. We're going to do the whole chapter today, so I'm going to have to hustle because I'm going to do the first three verses and then I'm going to take a significant rabbit trail. But it's just the right time to do it, and it will help us understand the rest of the chapter, or at least understand how to apply it. Now, on this rabbit trail, uh, I am going to step on some toes. Just going to happen. So, yeah, some of you are excited about that. Those are the evangelists. Get them! But uh, I would just ask you to, you know, let me get to the end. You might like it by the end. And uh, if not, if you're still offended at the end. Uh, then email Aaron, because he's on staff now, <laughs> and that's, uh, he can handle that, okay? All right, good, here we go. All right, so if you want to open your Bibles to John uh, chapter 9, you can go along with us, or you know we'll put the verses I'm reading up there. I want to start by just looking at the first three verses. This is our setup. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, "Uh, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but this uh, lays out a classic debate that's been going on in the church for hundreds of years, and so we'll get into that a little bit. His disciples... Want to know uh, what sin caused this man to be born blind? Which is, uh, when you think about it, kind of a stupid question. I mean, wh- how do you how do you sin enough to be born blind? Do you sin in your mother's womb? Do is it God doing pre sin? He knows you're going to sin, so you're born blind. I don't even know how that works. But this is where the disciples' heads are at. He's blind. He was born blind. It's terrible. Someone had to have sinned. And what he's doing, uh, or the disciples, what they're doing is they're applying the principle of sowing and reaping. This guy has reaped blindness. He must have sown sin somewhere. You understand that principle, right? And so this is what they believe. The guy's born blind. Has to. Somebody's got to be a sinner, right? Now, you might think we're over that, but... Uh, We just do that in different ways sometimes. And so I want to make sure we understand that. And uh, in talking about the principle of sowing and reaping, let's do this. Uh, About a year and a half ago, I went through the book of Job, all 42 chapters in one sitting. Does anybody remember that? (laughs) One person. Awesome. (laughs) Okay. So uh, it has been a year and a half. Uh, I'm going to do it, again, real quick, a very brief overview, because I want you to remember this principle. Maybe you'll remember what I talked about when we do this. Uh, first couple chapters, uh, Satan and God are talking about how righteous Job is, and they have a bet. Satan's betting that if, he, if Job suffers enough, he'll curse God, and God's betting he won't. And so God turns Satan loose. And the next, and we know he loses all of his family, his sheep, his goats, his his puppies, whatever, and uh, he's sick and he's miserable. And he has three friends and one young arrogant guy that come to comfort him. And we have 35 chapters, 35 long, tedious chapters of the principle of sowing and reaping. Uh, Job's friends are going, hey, uh, this... Clearly, bad stuff is happening to you because you've sinned somewhere. You're reaping what you've sown. And Job goes, but I, I haven't sinned. And they go, no, reaping and sowing, you need to confess your sin. He goes, but I haven't sinned. And they go, no, reaping and sowing, uh, seriously, we're, we're smart. Uh, you need to deal with your sin. And he goes, yeah, I, I get reaping and sowing. I'm not dumb either. <laughs> but I haven't sinned. And this goes on for 35 chapters. and Really, that's all it is for 35 chapters. And through all of that, Job doesn't sin in that he doesn't curse God. He does, however, say, I'd really like to have a conversation with God because I don't feel like I'm getting justice. And the truth is, at that moment, he wasn't getting justice. He was getting set up to be an example for every believer who would ever come in the future of the church something better at that point than immediate justice he does get justice in the end gets kids and family back and i think they're an improvement over the previous ones anyway so at some point god gets tired of listening to the sowing and reaping thing and he shows up and and uh he says hey job uh you wanted to talk i have some questions and he begins to ask him all these questions, all these what-do-you-know questions. And Job can't answer a single one. Do you know how I hung the heavens? Uh, do you know how I did this? Do you know how I, uh, how I you know, held back the depths? And, and, and Job doesn't, can't answer any of them. And so Job says, good talk, God. I really don't have any more questions. And God says, no, no. Uh, you wanted to talk. I have more questions and I'm gonna want an answer. And so then he goes into a whole nother couple chapters of questions and these are what can you do questions. He started with the what do you know questions and Job couldn't answer any of them. And now he's going to the what can you do questions. Can you tame Leviathan? Can you call down lightning? Can you this and that and Job can't do any of them. And and so God waits for his answer and Job goes, okay, here's the deal. I really didn't understand what I was talking about, and I feel kind of stupid now, and I'd just like to stop. And God goes, yeah, now you're getting it. Now you understand. Now I'm going to give you all your stuff back. He never sinned, but he did question the justice. And the point of the whole book was God wasn't doing sowing and reaping, and they didn't understand what God was doing. That's it understanding. Keep that in mind as we go into this, because we've got the same thing going on here. The disciples go, hey, this is sowing and reaping, right? And goes, no, uh, you don't understand. Again, remember Job? They don't, or they do, but they don't apply it here. So, or, you know, maybe they didn't hear my teaching either. So, who knows what the Pharisees told them about that. Um, Anyway, So Jesus says, nope, it's not sin. This is an opportunity to reveal God's work. Now, some people uh, will throw this all the way over onto the other side and and say, this is sovereign. God made this guy blind so that 20 or 30 years later, God could heal him and uh, display his work. Now, I'm not sure I go with God made this guy blind. I lean towards what God is saying here is, here's an opportunity to display the kingdom. Because if we go with, and this is why I want you to be careful. If we go with, if we go all the way over onto the, we started at the uh, reaping, sowing side. If we go all the way over on the other side of the scale to the sovereignty side, everything, you know, reaping and sowing, you get to choose what you want. You just have to suffer the consequences. Sovereignty, Uh, God does whatever he wants, and you can't do anything about it. Those are far apart. There is stuff in the middle, which we're going to talk about. Now, so I don't think it's all the way over on the sovereignty side, because at that point, uh, if it's a rule, it has to be a rule for all. So we have to tell every single person in the earth who's blind, well, you were born that way because God made you blind. And at some point, he wants to display his glory, We don't know when. This guy was probably only 20 or 30 years he had to wait, but hang in there. That's going to win people to Jesus, right? Or we have to tell them, well, it's arbitrary. You may be blind. You may be born blind because God wants to display his glory. You may be born blind, and it just happened. We don't know. It's just arbitrary. God just picks people to be blind. And that's really going to win people, right? And so sometimes in our search for these simple answers, and is it reaping and sowing? Is it sovereignty? Uh, we, we don't understand, just like Job's friends and Job, right? So that's what I want you to get is coming out of these first three verses. And so I want to spend some time. Here comes the painful rabbit trail. Get your toes under your chair. Uh, there is a human tendency towards wanting simple answers and rules. Right? You guys understand this? In, in a church, this is a problem. We want simple answers, we want rules, seven easy steps to blah, blah, blah. You've seen the books, right? And so, I'm not saying we don't follow steps, we don't follow patterns, we don't learn things, but this tendency to want simple answers and rules uh, doesn't help us when the situations are complex. And, Uh, It offsets waiting on the Lord, being led by the Spirit. Here's what I mean by that. If God says uh, every situation in your life is potentially a Job situation where you might not understand, then our only response is, well, I have to come to you every time and talk to you to find out what's going on. Anybody catch that? Couldn't I just have a rule? Couldn't I just have a simple, uh, you know, guideline to follow? It's almost as if he's going, no, I'm, I'm going to make you come and talk to me every time. I'm going to make you wait on the Lord. I'm going to make you be led by my spirit instead of by rules. It might be what he's up to. Are you with me? Yes. Okay, so let's start to apply this. The easiest place, I'm, I'm trying, I don't want to pick on people, but this is the easiest place for you to see this offset of this scale between uh, reaping and sowing and sovereignty. And it's the question of salvation. And this is the one that's been debated for hundreds of years. Um, It is very clear in the Bible that God has given us free will with consequences. You can choose, but your choices will have consequences. This is called reaping and sowing. And free will is absolutely biblical. Isn't it? Undeniable. Also, foreknowledge and predestination, those very words are in the Bible. The sovereignty of God is absolutely biblical, isn't it? And so we've had hundreds of years' argument over which one of these is going to be our rule, right? Which end of the scale are we going to be on? But there's a scale and it is impossible to only choose one because they're both in the Bible. And it is impossible to simply, underline simply, reconcile them together because it's not simple because there's an entire scale of choice and sovereignty. The nearest I can tell, here's how I describe it. Nearest I can figure out, God is absolutely sovereign and can do anything he wants And in his absolute sovereignty, he gave us free will. He sovereignly chose to give us free will, choices and consequences, gave us the scale. And then he said, but I reserve the right to sovereignly act anywhere in here I want to, just because I want to. Right? Now, how's that for a simple rule? God, how am I going to know? When we're doing reaping and sowing or when we're doing sovereignty? Well, you're going to have to ask me every single time. That's, good. That's not fair, God. That sounds like work. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So they're both at play, and there's no simple way to figure out how those two things work together. How my choices and God's sovereignty work together. It takes God to figure that out. Sometimes he'll give you a clue. He explained it to Job at the end. But until the end, Job didn't know. And Job's friends were convinced it was reaping and sowing. And they all lost at the end. And you all lose. Right? You with me? So the reason this is important is for a couple couple things. Now, for those of you who really like apologetics, you know I'm talking about uh, Calvinism and Arminianism. But I want you to to hear this. Uh, And again, uh, sorry about the toes. Um, it is carnal not only can we not choose one or the other it is carnal to choose one or the other and the scripture is very clear on this 1 Corinthians 3 1-4 through 4. and I brethren could not speak to you as spiritual people but as to carnal as to babes in Christ I fed you with milk and not with solid food for until now you are not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able, but you are still carnal. How does he know they're carnal? For when there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? I am of Jacobus Arminius, I am of John Calvin, are you not carnal? Is, have I done the scripture just injustice by inserting two different names? You see it? So we can get hung up on these things in our search for simple rules and simple answers. And I'm not talking about debate, I'm all for debate. You want to debate the, the principles of predestination or free will or the scriptures? That's awesome. Debate away. We should be digging in the scriptures. The problem becomes when it becomes strife and division, it's carnal. If it causes strife, it's an unprofitable argument. If it causes division, it's carnal. And let's be honest, we have entire denominations that both love Jesus and won't talk to each other because of this, don't we? And so we got to be careful because this isn't the only place we can fall into this. And the reason this is important is because when we begin to do this, when we begin to search for these simple answers and and have to have a doctrine locked in that explains everything, we begin to shift the focus off of the solution. By the way, spoiler alert, the solution is always Jesus. And shift the focus onto the problem, spoiler alert, the problem is always us, <laughs> right? We don't solve the problem by focusing on the problem. We solve the problem by focusing on the solution. So, what does this look like? Let's just talk about the one of the the, the finishing up this free will versus foreknowledge and predestination argument. Uh, the big thing that gets argued over is eternal security, which is a misnomer because. Neither of them give eternal security. If you are an uh, Arminian, uh, you say, well, uh, we all, let's put it this way. We've all seen people who looked like they were Christians and act like they were Christians, and then we saw them years later, and they're no longer looking like and acting like they're Christians, right? And so we would all like a simple answer. What happened to that guy? And Arminians say he fell away. And Calvinists say, he wasn't really saved. So I say, you can either fall away or find out years from now, you're not really saved. Neither one of those brings me security. You understand? In fact, I'd I'd hate to think, you know, I can just find out, whoops, I didn't get picked. I thought I was. Right? You understand what I'm saying? In the search for these simple answers, we come up with honestly stupid doctrines. There is no such thing as eternal security. What does the scripture say? He who endures the end will be saved. If you abide in me, abide in me. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, stay in me. Stay in me to the end and you'll be saved. There's your security. Jesus. If you let go of him, you don't have any security. But I want guarantees, Pastor. What if I get offended or or get deceived? Well, that's why the same passage that says endure to the end says, don't be offended, don't be deceived. (laughs) You know how you don't be offended and don't be deceived? Abide in Jesus. Are you with me? You see what I'm saying? We get focused on our issue and we get our focus off the solution. The solution is just Jesus. Is stay with Jesus. You'll be okay. You may not understand why, but you'll make it. Right? Don't be offended. Don't be deceived. Stay with Jesus. Now, I use that because I know we've all heard that argument and we all get that. Uh, what I want to do is now talk about that in the context of healing. I want to talk a lot about healing today uh, because Jesus is going to heal this guy because, uh, you know, that's what he's up to. Now, Healing, the same thing happens. If we focus on the problem, understanding the whys, it can shut down our faith for healing. If we focus on us instead of Jesus. And here's what that means. Uh, how many of you have had a discussion either with yourself or someone else? I don't understand why God didn't. We were praying. We were fasting. We were, we've all had that, Right? How many of you have found that highly productive and you got answers and it bore fruit? <laughs> Almost never, right? Because it shifts our focus onto the problem, not the solution. Jesus. Now, this actually happened, and so I want you to get this. Uh, this is a great example. In, in the Bethel Healing, maybe you've heard of Bethel Church out in California. Uh, they have lots of healings. They have a very high percentage of healings going on. And they did it, started doing a healing room on Saturdays. And they started inviting people, and their, their method was you come in, you sit down, someone spends 15 or 20 minutes with you, talk about your sickness and why you're sick and what the doctor said and blah, 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 blah. And then they bring you in a room and pray for you. And guess what was happening? Zip. Nobody was getting healed. And guess what the results of that was after a few months? The guy running the healing room was ready to shut it down because no one wanted to show up because no one was getting healed. But he took one last shot at praying and asking God, and God told him, hey, you're not going to solve the problem by focusing on the problem. You need to focus on the solution. So he got all the people together and he said, we're doing it totally different. We're not interviewing people. I don't care what they're sick of and why. We're gonna come in, we're gonna worship for like an hour and a half, when the presence of God is there, we're going to invite people in and pray for them. Guess what started happening? They still have a healing room. And people like to work there because people are getting healed. Do you see the difference? Yes. How many of you have spent time trying to figure out why it didn't happen, and the end result was it made you just want to quit praying for people for that thing? You with me? We can't do that. can't do that just because we don't understand. We can't quit. And the thing is, there's a lot we're not going to understand. Let me show you. I'm going to blow through this really quickly. Let's say you wanted to develop a simple doctrine of healing. And how to get healed and explains why people aren't healed and what you can do differently to get people healed and all that good stuff. Okay? So... You're going to do that. I'm just going to give you some uh, biblical concepts you need to incorporate into this. Are you ready? Here we go. All right, we just saw in John 9, verse 3, that God doesn't cause sickness and that healing is sovereign, right? But we read earlier in John chapter 5, verses 14, that remember the guy, the crippled guy at the pool uh, at uh, Bethesda? And Jesus heals him and he comes up to him afterwards and he says, hey, uh, go and sin no more lest a worse thing comes upon you, which sort of implies sin can cause bad things, reaping and sowing. So God doesn't cause sickness, uh, but sin can cause sickness or sin doesn't (laughs) cause sickness, but then unless it does. Right? Oh, and by the way, Acts ten thirty eight, Jesus healed all who were oppressed of the devil. Apparently devils can cause sickness too. Let's work that in. Oh, in Matthew eighteen, if you don't forgive, God will turn you over to the tormentor. I've seen that one where people weren't getting healed and God revealed that they needed to forgive someone, they forgave them and were healed instantly. So unforgiveness can cause sickness. Right? So we just work all that in. And uh, not even going to get into 1 Corinthians 11, where it talks about, where Paul is talking about communion, and he talks about some of you are, are eating, are taking communion in an unworthy manner, and you're not discerning the body, and because of that, many of you are sick and have fallen asleep, and by asleep, he means forever, won't even... That's a whole nother teaching. We won't even get into that. But whatever's going on there can cause sickness. But the good news is, there's lots of verses in your notes, I'm not going to read them to you, that Jesus heals all sickness. There are several references there where Jesus heals all who were brought to him that were sick. Except if there's unforgiveness. Or if there's unbelief. Remember in Matthew 13, he couldn't heal many people, couldn't do many signs because of their unbelief? In John 17, the, uh, the apostles couldn't cast the devil out, and they asked Jesus why, and he says, because you're unbelief, right? Yep. Sometimes, there's another rule. <laughs> if you want to tell the person you're praying for, it's their unbelief sometimes it's the person praying. Yes. Yes, it is. So we might be in this together. It might be all of our unbelief. Not just, not just the victim. Or the person you're praying for. <laughs> Understand? Okay. And this one's the one that's really going to bother some people. Jesus heals all sickness except if there's unforgiveness or unbelief or he just sovereignly isn't healing that day. You ready for this one? John 5, we talked about the guy in Bethesda, right? Now, the problem he was having was when the pool got stirred up, there was too much competition to get down to the pool to get healed, which tells us there was a lot of sick people there, wasn't there? How many did Jesus heal? One. He went to this guy and said, do you want to be healed? We don't have any record of him going to anyone else and saying that at the pool that day. Now, they probably could have been healed. I bet if someone would have come up to him and said, hey, me too, he would have done it. But he just went to one guy. And it makes me think of a passage in Luke chapter 4. What's happened in Luke chapter 4, Jesus has been to Capernaum and he's been healing the sick. And he's uh, he's, he's a rock star, right? because everybody's hearing about it. So he comes to his hometown, and they're very excited. Like you guys are, you know, when a big name comes, uh, and I get somebody, and you're like, oh, stuff's going to happen now, because it's not Tony, it's that guy. And, uh, <laughs> right? So we're very excited. They're very excited. Jesus is coming, the guy who's healing people at Capernaum. And they go, hey, Jesus, you, you do the reading today. And so Jesus picks up Isaiah and he reads Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to set captives free, all that kind of stuff. And he goes, this today is fulfilled in your sight, implying, yeah, I'm him. And he sits down and they're all looking at him expectantly. It's going to happen now. Ministry time is fixing to start. I can tell. It's going to be good. I'm going to blog about this, right? <laughs> And Jesus says this, Luke four twenty three through 27. He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. So Jesus is going, I know what you want. You want me to heal people, right? Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, Many widows were in Israel, in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up and three, for three years and six months, and there was a great famine through all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. What point do you think he's trying to make? There was lots of need. I only addressed one widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian. You know what he's saying? He's just blatantly going, "Uh, I'm not going to heal anyone here today. I'm not going to do it. I'm not healing today. Deal with it. You know how they dealt with it? They wanted to take him up and throw him off a cliff. But he walked through them because that's what he did. They had expectations. He went, I'm not doing it today. John chapter 5. Hey, let's feed all these people. Bring me the five loaves and two fish, and we'll feed 5,000 people. John chapter 6, can we have breakfast? No. I'm not doing the multiply food thing today. No. Right? Pesky sovereignty? God just deciding when he's going to do stuff and when he's not? You with me? And so we have to watch this when we get to these desires to get simple doctrines. And by the way, here's another one you can throw in. Speaking of Elisha, since we just were, uh, Elisha healed the sick and raised the dead. He healed Naaman. He raised a dead boy, right? Uh, But we read in 2 Corinthians 13 that he died of sickness. Now, you got to work that into your doctrine too. I don't know how he died of sickness, but he died of sickness. But here's the really weird thing. He died of sickness, and they buried him in a cave, and some guys were trotting along with a dead body. I don't know why. Uh, And then some enemies came, and they needed to hide, and they threw the dead body in on Elisha. And you remember what happened? Came alive. alive. He came out and said, hey, guys, listen, I don't know how I got here. Uh, What are we doing? And, you know, by the way, (laughs) Elisha. He died of sickness, and his bones raised the dead. How does that fit doctrinally? Right? God just does stuff. So here's what I want you to get. We need to leave room for not understanding. Uh, Having a rigid doctrine can be a setup for offense. Should Should we ask God? Uh, Is there anything I need to know about this person while I'm praying for them to be healed? Or uh, should we learn uh, what God, uh, that didn't go well? Anything you want to tell me? Yeah, spend 20 minutes praying and find out about that. But then move on. We don't always have to understand. Let's go back to Job's friends. What I'm talking about where a rigid doctrine can set people up for offense. Job's friends were telling Job, uh, all this happened because you've sinned somewhere, right? Now, one of the things that happened is all of his kids died. Do you catch that? Hey, Job, we're just here to comfort you. But, you know, bro, I really got to speak truth to you. You killed all your kids. They all died because of your sin. We would never do that, right? Sorry, Mom, you're child you were praying for died because you didn't have enough faith. But don't feel bad. We wouldn't do that, right? See how some of these pat doctrines can be wounding, can set someone up for offense, can put someone under guilt. Now, if you're feeling guilty about your lack of faith causing someone else to die, how likely are you going to be to pray for someone who's sick again? Right? And you don't even know that that's the case. And the truth is, we all have to some degree a lack of faith, don't we? We all have unbelief issues. Anybody here not have unbelief issues? Because we need you on the healing room. <laughs> it's okay. The disciples had unbelief issues. Jesus mentioned it to them several times. You Remember? They got better. They kept at it. He worked with them. He'll work with us. We can get better. So what I want to do is get us off this focus of, of, uh, of failures. Uh, let me wrap this up this way, then we can get back to John 9. Um, my, I've decided that my biblical doctrine for healing is David in 2 Samuel 12. Uh, what happens is he fools around with Bathsheba and kills her husband. He wasn't supposed to do that. And she's going to have a baby, which is, you know, why he killed her husband or arranged for him to be killed. And uh, Nathan, the prophet, comes to him and says, yeah, that baby's going to die. And here's what David does. David fasts and prays for seven days because he goes, who knows? God is so merciful. Who knows? He might relent. And so all of his servants are nervous because when the baby dies, they go, look, man, he's been fasting and praying for seven days while the baby was alive. What's he going to do when it's dead? And David hears him, and he goes, is the baby dead? And they go, yep. And he goes, all right. And he gets up, washes, and goes and prays God, goes into a worship service. I go, man, that's good theology right there. Even if the doctors and everybody else says you're going to die, I'm going to pray. And whatever happens, I'm going to praise God. And I don't need to understand anything else. Now, if God will give me some understanding, that's awesome. But I really don't need that. I understand that God is good and that God heals and that God answers prayer. And I will, I will go for it as hard as I can and then I'm going to praise God. I can do that doctrine. I can do that doctrine Every time. Every time. I will pray in faith, and I will praise God, whatever the result is. Amen. How's that for a doctor? Here's a rule you can follow, right? And so I want us to see that it's not that important that we understand the failures. Now, at the same time, here's where I really want to get, because at the same time, we can't lower the bar. What I'm concerned about is, because I don't know about you, but I've, I've prayed for people who are sick and Seen him get healed? But my fails by far outnumber my wins. By far. And it's easy to go, well, it's just not my gift or whatever, and I want to give up. And we cannot do that. I'm not saying we shouldn't. I'm saying we can't. Biblically, we can't. We cannot lower the bar. Mark 16, 17, and 18 says, These signs shall follow those who believe. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Do you believe? Do you lay hands on the sick and see them recover? Yeah, it's kind of provoking, isn't it? it? Bugs me. I don't do that enough. God says believers do that. We need to do that. We can't lower the bar. It's it's kind of like we talked about sin earlier and how we can't lower the bar now. Uh, Peter says, he gives a list of things. He says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. Who, just, let's just go for 2022, since January 1st. Anyone here never stumbled so far the whole first two and a half months? No one? Okay. Uh, (laughs) John, in 1 John says, if you abide in him, or he who abides in him doesn't sin. How many of you have experienced that for Uh, the last couple months, just no sin because you're abiding in Jesus. I thought so. Right. But we don't lower the bar. The bar is still be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. We don't lower the bar just because we have failures. We keep going. We keep pursuing perfect because Jesus is perfect, right? Well, healing is the same way. We can't lower the bar just because we have failures. We're called to lay hands on the sick and then recover. Believers do that. It's just what the Bible says. Right? Yeah. Amen. And our experience wants to pull us off that. So I want us to get that before we go on. See, it's so easy to get hung up on our failures. And the truth is, uh, he heals a lot. Jesus healed a lot in the Bible. And I think he'll heal a lot here. I think he'll heal a lot more than we believe he'll heal. But we have to go for it. And getting focused on our fails tends to make us not go for it. I'm not trying to give you a doctrine for why people don't get healed. I'm trying to say, don't worry about why people don't get healed. Go for it anyway. That why I didn't get healed... Go on to the next one. That guy didn't get healed. Go on to the next one. Keep going for it. Keep believing the scriptures over our experience. Walk by faith, not by sight. And sooner or later, we'll see more of it. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, and here's what, here's what bothers me. We can talk about healing. I could do teachings on healing uh, and but unless we heal people, we end up looking kind of dumb. Because at some point, we can tell the world, God, is, God does miracles. God does signs and wonders. God does healings. At some point, the world just looks at us and goes, yeah, show me. And that's valid. And it bothers me because I feel a responsibility to show them. Right? And if I focus on my failures, it gets really hard to meet that responsibility. For example, you look at the big healing ministries uh, today, and we just had one here. It was a pretty big healing ministry. And they always start out, they'll tell you a dozen testimonies of really cool healings, right? has you seen that? And so you go, man, that's awesome. Uh, where, and, and at the last meeting, here's, here's all these testimonies, and they're building faith. And they don't tell you about the fails because the fails don't build faith. They don't focus on the fails. Now, here's the thing. Most of the time when you go to those meetings and you hear a dozen stories and you think, wow, that must have been an amazing meeting. Everybody was getting healed. Well, I've been at those meetings. You know what usually happens? Say there's 30 stories. 30 people got healed. How many of you want to be at a meeting where 30 people got healed? Yeah. I go, how many people did you pray for? 300. That's only 10% you only got 10% people healed. 90% of them didn't get healed. See, we don't think like that at those, but we think like that when I get you up to pray. I say, here, there's a person who's sick, pray for them. You got a 90% chance that nothing's going to happen. Walk in faith, brother. Right? Most of us, we're going to pray for them, not really expect much, sit down, go, well, I tried. Wow. Right? Now, this is a test. Who in here went, forget that. I want to increase my odds. Give me 10 people to pray for. If we're only getting one out of 10, I need 10 people. <laughs> Does anybody think that way? Yes. One person, two people, three? Interestingly those three people all go to the healing room. What if it's just a numbers game for us right now until we get better at it? You understand what I'm saying? So we don't go, well, I tried, it didn't work. We go, give me more people. I don't even increase my odds. If only one in ten is going to get healed, I don't want to pray for 20 or 30. I want to get somebody healed. I want a testimony. And this begins to become our attitude. That, look, Signs and wonders are supposed to happen. I got to go and start doing stuff until they happen. And I'm not going to worry about the fails, right? Now, most, if you think about it, uh, Randy Clark is one of the best healing ministries around. And uh, they're up to about 30%. He says they're running about 30%. They get a lot more in other countries. Isn't that cool? That's 70% failure, guys. But it's a matter of perspective, isn't it? I'll bet you, in fact I know, they don't go into it focused on why didn't the other 70% get healed? You know what they do? They just move on. They just get the next person. You understand what I'm saying? And in terms of, here's the other one. Uh, If you go give me 10 people, how many of you, if you're sick, come get prayer, nothing happens, you go okay. But you go, well, wait a minute. If, uh, you know, only one in ten are getting healed today, I need to get nine other people to pray for me. <laughs> Increase my odds. I'm serious. Get prayer every week. It was, we just heard a testimony about a, a lady in Africa had a baby who was blind. God healed the baby. Uh, it was crippled. And had no pupils. God gave him eyes and strengthened his legs so he could walk. Now, you know what she did? She went to this meeting. It was a bunch of big names. She just went and handed the baby to someone. They prayed for the baby, handed it back. Its eyes were still blind. She went to someone else and handed the baby to them. It was the third or fourth person that she handed the baby to when it finally got healed. She was just going to hand the baby to people until somebody healed it. And <laughs> <laughs> you getting the attitude. Yes. The thing that will kill that attitude is trying to figure out all the doctrinal stuff and why didn't, why didn't, why didn't. Forget why didn't. You don't have to understand. We just need to go for it. I'm not trying to create an atmosphere where we have a really good doctrine of healing here. I'm trying to create an atmosphere where we go for it and we're not burdened by guilt or failure. We're just going for it. Because we've read the scriptures that signs and wonders are supposed to follow those who believe. And so we're just going for it. Just go for it. Just pray for people. It probably doesn't even matter how well you pray. I don't think the words, it, you know, get one verse. It'll work. Yeah? Okay. Okay. Well, let's move on to the rest of John chapter 9. I wanted us to understand that before we looked at the rest of this, because here's what Jesus says, and we can go through the rest of this chapter pretty quick. You're probably terrified because, you know, it's already been a really long time, and I've only covered three verses. <laughs> so, Jesus is going to heal this guy, but here's what he says in verse 4 and 5. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So here's what I want you to see. Remember in chapter 8, he identified himself as the light of the world. He says, look, I'm the light of the world. I've got to do works. Now, anybody remember that verse where Jesus passed the whole light of the world thing on to us? What does that mean? We're We're the light of the world, which means... We've got to do works. It's not an option. Now, I'm not just talking about healing. I'm talking about the gifts of the Spirit. I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit. I talked about it last week as the second witness, that the first witness is this is the gospel. Jesus is the only way to heaven. People go, yeah, I ain't buying it. We go, well, here's the second witness. The Holy Spirit in me, be healed or be delivered or look at the fruit of the Spirit in my life and how I handle adversity. The second witness is God's testimony backing our testimony. We talked about that in chapter 8, right? Jesus talked about a second witness. So what I want you to see here is Jesus is saying, I got to do the works. It's the witness of God. It's the second witness. He can witness as the son of man, but he also needs to witness as the son of God. And that has to be supernatural. And the fruit of the spirit works just as well as the gifts of the spirit, but let's try and do them all. Yeah, so and by the way, uh, because it's the only place we see it, uh, he says, "I must. Uh, the night is coming when no one can work." Uh, that's debatable. I think what he's talking about there is the day of the Lord, referenced in Joel and quoted in Acts, where the sun is turned to darkness and the moon to blood. I think he's saying there's coming a time when I'll come again, and no one's going to be able to work because at that point I'm wrapping things up. Uh, so that's all I think that means. Uh, I'm not going to go any further with that. Anyway, so Jesus, what I want you to get is Jesus and us, if we're going to be the light of the world, have to display works. We have to go for it. We can't let failures cause us to step back and quit. Period. I want a church that goes for it. Free of guilt. Free of the need to explain themselves. Amen? Now, In verses 6 through 15, he heals the blind man. He makes some mud and says, here's mud in your eye. And the guy can see. Uh, Remember that one? Rubs mud in his eyes? Okay, good. And uh, I'm guessing that's where that comes from. And uh, the problem is, it's the Sabbath. He's done it again. He healed a blind guy on the Sabbath They take the blind guy to show him to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees begin to question the blind guy because he was healed on the Sabbath, and you just don't do that in Israel, right? So, verse 16, let's skip down there. Uh, Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Eh, Technicality, didn't keep the Sabbath, can't be from God, invalid. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things, and there was division among them. What caused the division? Well, yeah, he healed on the Sabbath, he broke our rules, but we still got to deal with this blind guy who can see now. This is a problem for me. And we need to talk about this. The second witness caused them to debate. The signs make it difficult to discredit The testimony of Jesus on religious grounds. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Yeah, I don't buy that. Be healed. Holy cow. I got to deal with that now. I can't just... Your testimony can't just be washed away. The power of the Holy Spirit. The second testimony. It kept this discussion going. And it's really, really, really annoying the Pharisees. So, in... Verses 17 through 23, what they decide is, I know how we can get around this. Maybe he wasn't really healed. Maybe there isn't a second testimony. Maybe he wasn't born blind. Let's get his parents in here. Hey, parents, was this guy really born blind? Yep. Dang it. (laughs) So that didn't work. So they go back in verse 24 and 25 to try another technicality. Verse 24 and 25. They want to see if they can get the guy who was healed to change his testimony. Maybe we can get him to change his testimony. So they go, so again, they called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. In other words, don't tell us this guy healed you. Tell us anything else. Because we need to get off this thing. We need this guy. This guy's a sinner, and we need him disqualified on that technicality and your testimony of healing is screwing it up, right? And I love what he does. He answered and said, whether well, he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I knew, I was blind, now I see. <laughs> Second testimony in your lap, your turn. Didn't work. Tried to discredit him. He's a sinner. He forces them to deal with the sign. Yeah, okay, I don't know if he's a sinner, but he did a miracle. Deal with it. So they're pretty desperate at this point. They're looking for any way out because the sign has caused them problems. And so they basically re-interview him. They're just desperately looking for something they can lay a hold of. And here's why. Because if they accept the sign as from God, it validates all the words Jesus has said, i.e., I am the Son of God. Now, this sounds a lot like Mark 16, 20. I read you 17 and 18. These signs follow those who believe. They will heal the sick, right? In verse 20, it says, and they went out preaching the gospel and what? God did signs and wonders to confirm the word. The signs and wonders confirm the word. And again, it's not optional. It's not like, well, if I get smart enough and go to seminary, I'll be able to convince people about Jesus. No, the signs and wonders confirm the word. That's what's going on here with these Pharisees. They're going, we are really stuck because if we believe that sign, we have to believe this guy's the Messiah. And that is unacceptable to us. So they have a problem. Now, I love verses 29 through 34. These are fun. This blind guy, I would, I would totally like to hang out with him. <laughs> He's not blind anymore. They said, now they're going to try and discredit Jesus. First they tried to discredit him as a sinner. Now they're going to try and discredit him as basically uncredential. This guy didn't go to Pharisee school. He, he really can't pay attention to what he says. Right? And Uh, once again, the blind guy is just going to force them to deal with the sign, just right back in their court again, all right? And here it is. We know know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't even know where he's from. No credentials whatsoever. And uh, the man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners but if anyone is a worshiper of God, he does his will and he hears Him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of someone who was born blind. If this man were for not from God, he could do nothing. So they point him back to the sign and he takes him the next step to the sign validates who he says he is. And at this point, they just can't handle it anymore. The Pharisees have done everything they can to discredit him. So they go for plan B, let's discredit the guy who keeps talking about Jesus. And they say, you were, uh, and they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sin, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. So they discredit him by saying, uh, essentially, interestingly, the same doctrine that the Pharisees had, you were born in sin. Clearly, you were born blind. You must be a sinner. So we don't have to listen to you. Right? So they discredited him that way. And, um, That, you know, basically they're smarter. Why are you teaching us? We went to seminary school. You were born in sin. Shut up. That's it. And so they've dealt with the miracle now uh, as best they could (laughs) by making it go away. So all of that to see, you've got to see the power of the second witness, the power of God in our lives. And we have to go for it. It is unacceptable for us to accept just doctrinally correct lives that have no power. It's not biblical. I know it's hard, but let's just go for it as a church. And let's not focus on our failures. Let's just go for it. Now, let's do the rest. 35 through 41, finish up the chapter. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he would found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he said... Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You've both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. In other words, it's me. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say you see, therefore your sin remains. All right, let's unpack this real quick, and then we'll get back into worship. So first, real simply, Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah, and the man believes. You see how easy evangelism is? You heal them. You say, Jesus is the Messiah, and they go, got it. I want to do it that way. Wouldn't that be great? So let's get some healings. Let's get some miracles. Let's get some activity of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus goes beyond that. Not only does he reveal himself as Messiah, he reveals his purpose. For judgment, I've come into the world. Now, understand, it's easy to misunderstand this. He's not saying, I came in the world to judge you guys. Because he already covered that in John 3, didn't he? Where he says very specifically the opposite. I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. He goes, this is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Didn't come to the light. So he's not saying, I'm here to judge the world. He's saying, I'm here to reveal myself as the standard of judgment. I am the light. We determine the judgment by how we respond to the light. Right? So in essence, we judge ourselves. Jesus says, I'm the light. I'm here for judgment, pick, with me, against me, right? And we either enter into new life or condemnation based on what we do with that light. It's that simple. It's just John 3.16 again, or 3.16 through 19. Now, then he goes on and he says, uh, those who see... Those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. And again, he's talking spiritually here, even though he did just heal a blind guy. Uh, He's making, that's really an incredible metaphor here. Uh, He's talking spiritually that those who were ignorant of the light see because when they see the light, they come to the light. This guy saw, saw the light, came to the light. Blind guy saw. Those who are spiritually proud are blinded by the light. They Think they already see, and so that's the judgment. Light came into the world; they choose darkness. You with me? Pretty simple, okay. And so that's what's going on here. And again, I said it's an amazing metaphor. That he's, he, you know, often Jesus would talk about things that are going around him. So he's using this blind guy being healed to illustrate what's going on. Blind people, people who didn't see me or seeing me, people who think they see me, are actually blind. And in their sin. Right? And I, I find this interesting. The uneducated blind guy looks brilliant in this, doesn't he? And the Pharisees look like total fools. Now, I think there's a message there. I think that's a metaphor. The guys who think they have it all together are looking dumb. And the guy who just met Jesus is answering them brilliantly. Hey, just look at the sign, guys. Here's your sign, right? And then he finishes with some Pharisees who are offended because they realize he's calling them blind. And so they say, are we blind also? And he says, well, now that you mention it, uh, if you really were, you wouldn't have any sin. But because you say you see, because you say I get it, because you've made a choice, your sin remains. So uh, when we see the light, when we see Jesus, it is at that point that we become responsible for our choice. We become responsible for our sin. And we either let Jesus deal with our sin or your sin remains and you and God have to work that out when you die, and that doesn't go well. Let me just tell you, there are lakes of fire involved. Right? So, when we see Jesus, we have to go, okay, I see, I'm coming to the light. I'm not going to darkness. Um, this also kind of gets into, you know, if you ever get that question about the pygmies in Africa, uh, I, I just go, I don't know. Uh, you could make a case here that Uh, If they truly are ignorant, they have no sin. I don't know how God will deal with that. I don't know if they get there and he preaches the gospel to them. Uh, But none of us qualify because I know you've all heard the gospel. So, there. Right? So, it's not a valid excuse. All right. So, again, uh, I'm at the end of the chapter, by the way, so uh, I guess we can quit. Um, What I want you guys to see is really this simple. Uh, we, We have to go for that second witness, the power of God. And what will hang us up is our heads, having to doctrinally figure it all out. Now, again, I love the Bible. I love doctrine. I love truth. I want all that. But I can't let that hang me up from the simple fact that I'm supposed to lay hands on the sick and they're supposed to recover. And I just need to go after that. You guys want to go after that? Yes. I mean, really? More than just today. All right? Find sick people and just pray for them. Just take 20 seconds. I'm going to pray for you. See what happens. Maybe God will be merciful. All right? And then when, when God heals them, uh, come give us the testimony. All right, right. I'm sorry. Let's have the band up. Should have had the band up. Uh, what I want to do, let's, let's just go into worship, and then after the first song, let's just have the ministry team up here, and anybody who wants prayer, come and get prayer. Uh, if you want to have each one of them pray for you, that's fine. Uh, you want to just start down your row, whatever works, I just want to go for it. I just want to create a place where we can go for the stuff without being weird or guilty or whatever. Whatever. Uh, the other side of this coin, by the way, is we tend to try and hype up the stuff, don't we? Uh, and I just want God to do it. Let's just, let's just believe God and go, let's do it. Let's, let's, in fact, let's pray that. Lord, we pray this morning that you would give us, uh, not even just us, Lord, that you would give the community around us the second testimony of the activity of your spirit in our lives. Lord, we volunteer to be a witness of your kingdom in our community. So God, you gotta heal the sick, cast out devils, all those things. Or you gotta put the fruit of your spirit in us so that we stand out as a light in darkness. Lord, we need the second testament of your spirit. All we know how to do is come and get close to you and ask for. So, Lord, we ask, yes, Jesus. we ask this morning that you would move by your Spirit. or we just ask for the things you said we're supposed to do in the name of Jesus.